You're listening to episode number 30 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Stephen Bowman, President and CEO of World Relief. In our conversation today, we talk about the refugee crisis in Europe and what World Relief is doing to stand for the vulnerable. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.P. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.P. Today on Strike the Match, uh, my guest is Stephen Bowman. Uh, he is the uh, president and CEO of World Relief. And if you're not familiar with World Relief, you need to be familiar with World Relief. And so I'm hoping that uh, this conversation uh, with Stephen today will be uh, not only informative uh, and inspirational to you, but also helpful to you and your ministry uh, wherever you may be uh, serving uh, in the world. World Relief is... Um, Excuse me, an international uh, relief and development organization that serves more than 5 million vulnerable people each year, uh, really through more than 100,000 church-based volunteers. And so they have extensive uh, ministries that are across the globe. Uh, Stephen uh, is, uh, is, an, is a graduate of Johns Hopkins. Uh, he's a graduate from Wheaton College, University of Wisconsin. Uh, he's a poet. He's an author. Uh, in fact, uh, his most recent book that uh, just came out is called Possible, a blueprint for changing how we change the world, and uh, he's an ordained minister and also a CPA. And so, if you have tax questions, <laughs> you can call in. Of course, this is not a call-in show. So, hey, Stephen, I'm so thankful you're with us today, brother. Welcome to Strike the Match. Oh, JD, it's a great pleasure to be with you, and love what you're doing, and love Strike the Match. So, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Hey, tell us a little bit about uh, about your background. You 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 have a, a very interesting uh, list here of things that you have been blessed with and involved in. <laughs> well, yeah, I I have a wide interest, and I find myself doing a lot of things, and I've often often wondered why is that about me, but. I've come to accept that and learn that there is a unique place for the generalist that has skills in a lot of different areas, often to bring together, bring together different pieces towards a goal. And so I studied at the University of Wisconsin in Madison in undergrad. I was studying business, and, and during those days, I was a prodigal son, and I had great parents, but had gone my own way. And Jesus ambushed me in a very unique way. I was alone in a car. I didn't understand all the things that we talk about today as followers of Jesus. And I learned through a friend after that experience that I had been basically saved by by God. Hmm. And it changed everything for me. I asked that same friend, how do I get involved in a church? What should I do? And she helped me uh, find a church in Madison. She was living in a, in a different city altogether down in Indiana. And sort of jumped headlong into a, a local church, into a college, college and career ministry. And uh, during those days, the, the the famine in Ethiopia was was not long in our rearview mirror, mm-hmm. and the the war in the Balkans was happening. So I was going to church and and following God, and and God was turning my life inside out. But then I'd read the newspaper in my business day, often with a cup a cup of coffee in my high rise office. And I was struggling to bring the two together. Hmm. And I'd go to the, my church friends and say, when are we going to do something about poverty here? And many of my friends then were saying, you know, let's pray or let's, uh, let's focus on discipleship. If you're a disciple, then you can go out and change the world. And, and they, in some ways, endorsed this split between uh, the problems of the world and, and inside the walls of the church. And mm-hmm. again, these are great people, and it was a great church. 
so all of that led me to um, follow my wife, actually. So that person that helped me understand what happened to me eventually became my wife. Her name is Belinda. We got married, stayed in that local church, and it was she that said, hey, let's go volunteer in Africa for a few months. And I said to her, three years in a row, she asked. I hmm. said, for three years in a row, hey, maybe next year. We're, you know, maybe we're, Let's work with the youth group again for another year. Uh-huh. It came a point when I could, uh, I could take a leave of absence. She did the same. We went to West Africa, Ghana. We were meant to be there for six uh, months. We stayed for six years. And wow. from that point on, I've been working in this type of um, uh, type of ministry since, and then most recently, last ten years with World Belief. Man, that is that is a fascinating journey because you were you were actually in the uh, Fortune 100 sector. I was I was working for a big consulting firm, working on mergers and acquisitions, and in fact, you joked about taxation, <laughs> international taxation, and all these things. It was really exhilarating meeting extraordinary people, uh-huh. and um, I just thought I'd take a leave of absence and come back to that world. And when I showed up in Africa, thinking with a pretty naive mindset that, look, if you're, if you're not a doctor mm-hmm. or if you're not a, you know, a Bible translator, I just thought this is just going to be an experience where I you know, pour some concrete, build a few houses, and, and learn some things myself and go back to you know, my job as a, as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Well, what I learned is that the skills of leadership, of, uh, of strategy, um, administration, uh, all of those things are significantly needed Mm -hmm. in the world of relief and development, particularly in the world of of missional relief and development, leading from our faith. Uh, They were were lacking. And so I found um, God calling me right into that place. And uh, it's been it's been a journey that I never planned, never expected. I was a least likely person having grown up in Wisconsin, barely left the state, let alone the United States, mm. and now I find myself, you know, all over the world. So, so now serving as president and CEO of World Relief, uh, can you tell us a little bit about World Relief? Because I'm sure that I have listeners uh, out there today that are not familiar with the organization. Yeah, World Belief began a long time ago in 1944 when it was, a, it was a very pronounced split between what was called the social gospel and the real gospel. And, and there was a tension between the two, and, and there were good reasons for that tension. But in 1944, a church in Boston decided, you know what, we, we want to do something about the refugee crisis um, following World War II mm-hmm. in Europe. Right. It, was, it was a huge crisis. And so that church um, started to fast during meals, and they took the money they would have spent on food, and they gave it. And they set up a fund, a, a program fund out of that church called the, the War Relief Fund. And they did this, in, and in partnership with the National Association of Evangelicals, a number of other churches caught that same fire. And in 1944, they raised $600,000 wow. for refugees in Europe. Just by foregoing meals, mm-hmm. and now in that day, it was that was extraordinary on a number of fronts. One is that that number is huge in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. Secondly, with the critique around these churches of the social gospel, they were they were stepping over a lot of criticism to do that. So that gave birth to what became the War Relief Commission, and then World Relief in 1944-45. We've been serving local churches around the world since. It's it's the one thing we're passionate about is seeing the church live out the gospel through deeds and actions Mm -hmm. among those who are suffering. So whether it's the refugee in Europe or whether it's the 
the mother in you know sub-Saharan Africa that can't feed her child, whether it's uh, the farmer who can't um, you know earn enough money to to send his daughter to school, but all of that it, it's it, it's focused on how the local church can be the light, the answer, the solution for people who are vulnerable. And you know that, that's what I was getting ready to to, to mention. You know on, you know your, kind of your your tagline motto that I, I see on on your website worldrelief.org is stand for the vulnerable, and that really sums up much of what you guys do. It is, and and some some would look at world belief and say, "Gosh, you do so much." Well, we really only do one thing, and it says we mobilize, equip, empower local churches around the world. And where the church doesn't exist, we partner with mission agencies that are planting churches, mm-hmm. and we serve the most vulnerable because vulnerability looks so different in so many places, and in, and our world is so broken. Um, we go after a lot of things, mm-hmm. whether it's you know fleeing a, a war in Syria or or dealing with violence against women in Eastern Congo or dealing with trafficking right here in the United States. Right. So wherever there's vulnerability, the, the most vulnerability, we focus there, and then we call the church, we mobilize the church, we train the church, we invite the church to help tackle those problems in very strategic and meaningful ways that can actually help really move the needle. And, you know, we see we see poverty cut in half in some of the villages mm. and communities. We see young women coming out of trafficking and taking on, you know, flourishing lives. So it's exhilarating to see the local church be at its best and out of following Jesus, live out that faith and see people not only significantly help, but often often radically converted to Jesus. Mm. And then uh, we don't we don't tie the two together. You don't mm. get services if you convert. Right. We do this full-on service and we love people, but we trust the Holy Spirit. We trust the grace of God mm-hmm. that he will bring them in a flourishing and abundant life in fullness. So it, we see that as well, which is really exciting. And and speaking about about refugees, uh correct me if I'm wrong, but but you guys are the largest evangelical uh, ministry that's working with refugees in the world. Is that correct? That's true. In, in the United States, we're the only evangelical um, refugee resettlement agency. So a refugee is, I mean, just to, to get a little technical there, it's, it's a person who has fled his or her country of origin because of a credible fear or persecution uh, on account of their race, religion, uh, political opinion, national origin, or social group. So a refugee is a very technical definition, mm-hmm. and it's, it's different than an immigrant in right. that a refugee, when, when a refugee comes into the United States, they come in with legal status, having been approved by our State Department and having gone through a very detailed and thorough vetting process with the U.N., then the United States, the Homeland Security so there's a really thorough process there, and we're one of, of nine agencies that's partnered with the State Department to bring in those refugees into the United States to 27 different cities throughout the, throughout the U.S. And here's the beautiful thing. We work with local churches throughout the U.S. to welcome those refugees, whether that's through, hey, have them over for a meal or, or come to the airport when they come off the plane and and or even people that volunteer to, to teach language skills or civic skills to those families. So it's a really uh, incredible way for local churches right here in the U.S. to reach out to families from 
from uh, Sudan or Bhutan or Iraq and in the future Syria as well. Mm. You know, I, w- I want to come back to to that point that you just made about uh, churches in the U.S. and refugees obviously coming to this country. Um, of course, right now, uh, all eyes uh, tend to be focused on Europe and uh, the crisis that's happening happening uh, there as a result of what's taking place uh, throughout Middle Eastern context. Uh, what can you share with us uh, at this at this point in time uh, about the crisis in Europe? Yeah, it's an overwhelming crisis, a daunting one. And in when you take refugees and then people who have fled their homes for the same reasons, persecution or threat, mm-hmm. but haven't crossed a border, we call them internally displaced people. So you'll hear that acronym from time to time: IDPs. When you add together refugees and IDPs, you have about 50, almost 60 million people in the world, uh, the largest ever in history since World War II. Mm. And so that's, it's a daunting issue. You can't sort of walk out your front door, read the newspaper, turn on the television without being confronted with right. this, this, this issue. And, and as you know, uh, wars and conflict and oppression are the really the root causes between why people are being displaced. And so the first thing is just to say, hey, let's just recognize there's a huge problem here. And then second thing, and maybe maybe this is even more important than, than recognizing the problem, is to say, what, what would Jesus say to me mm-hmm. about what I should do, how I should think, how should I approach this, how should I pray? And, and you know, we shouldn't forget that my little definition of the refugee there includes Jesus himself. He fled mm-hmm. because he was persecuted by Herod. So he crossed a a national line into Egypt. So you have Jesus saying to us, and in some ways he does say, I was a stranger in Matthew 25. And so he invites us to to welcome the stranger. And we need to do that wisely and carefully and through our local church. But it's a it's a big deal. In Europe, you have over half the country of Syria is fleeing. Uh, a big chunk of that is in Europe. Mm, wow. we belief is work. We're belief is working in Jordan, serving uh, Syrian refugee families there, particularly children. We're working through our Germany office and and helping to equip and empower the local German church so they can receive refugees. And we're opening an office in Turkey. And interesting enough, this process of opening an office in Turkey was underway well before. That image hit CNN of that little boy mm. with his legs draped over the the, mm-hmm. yeah. the aid worker. So, so in Turkey, there's two million uh, uh, two million refugees there as well. What can we do? One of the easiest ways to just get engaged as we ask those questions about faith is to go to a website that we helped um, helped uh, play a leadership role in called WeWelcomeRefugees.com. Mm-hmm. And it's in partnership with the National Association of Evangelicals and a, a pretty well-known blogger named Ann Voskamp and the Justice Conference. And we're simply, uh, we're simply saying, here are seven things you can do, and here are seven things you can do now. One is you can pray, and here's how to pray, and there's a whole set of prayer, um, prayer points there. Another thing you can do is connect with one of our offices throughout the United States mm-hmm. and meet a refugee family, have lunch with them, pray with them. Um, and we have we have offices throughout the United States, but you can go through some links on that website and find other agencies that also um, work with refugees if we're not located in your city. 
Another thing you can do is is advocate and 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 say to the United States government, we we really do support welcoming more refugees than we have in the past. And I know that's a a, a bit of a controversial issue, certainly in the news, and we're heading into an election. But I would just remind us of the days of Ronald Reagan when when he was president. We were we were welcoming way more refugees than we are now, upwards of a couple hundred thousand. And Ronald Reagan said some really great things in those days. He said, you know, we are a city on a hill. And he said, if we, if we must have walls, then let's have doors on those walls so that people who have the, the will to come in can come in uh, legally and contrive. So you have someone who is very conservative. We love Ronald Reagan. Many of us remember him from those days. And he was very progressive on bringing in uh, people from the yeah, so careful. Let, let me ask you a question because uh, we, we yeah. let me sorry to interrupt you there there Stephen. Um we, we had had a few hiccups with the with the Skype uh, connection there just for a second, but I think we got most of what you were saying. Um and then of course we had the uh, the siren that went by when you were given the website. <laughs> I I'm I'm hoping that the airplanes don't fly overhead in my house while we're making this recording too. But uh, but can you give us that website once again, the web that, that you were saying? Sorry about the siren. We're located downtown Baltimore, and we generally get a siren at least once or twice a day. No, that's okay. Yeah, the website strike, is, strike is the matches a rough and uncut uh, program. So, <laughs> I love that. So the website is wewelcomerefugees.com. Okay, very good. You just see some links to the things there for local churches or people, how to get involved, how to support a refugee family, how to actually get involved abroad in Europe as well. There's about seven or eight different links. There's some good information um, if you want, if people want to get their churches involved and want to know how to do that, there's some great links for how to bring this to your church. So uh, it's, 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 it's very helpful, um, and we've been told that by a number of people that it's helpful as well. So I hope, I hope your folks find it uh, uh, easy to use. Very good. Now, I know that over the past several years, the United States has, has had a refugee cap of about 70,000 coming into this country, but as of just within the past couple of weeks, uh, I've noticed uh, two different articles that uh, have uh, made it to light. Uh, one actually uh, said that uh, in 2016, uh, the number uh, of refugees that uh, the, the president is asking uh, to be allowed to come into the country is at 85,000, and then in 2017, the request is being made for the numbers to be at 100,000 refugees coming into the country. Uh, you mentioned some, some things that uh, churches can do to be involved in, in things happening on a global scale right now, particularly in, in Europe. Uh, what, what can pastors be doing right now to prepare their people for the likelihood of, of next year, Lord willing, seeing 15,000 refugees, increased number of 15, by 15,000 refugees coming into the country and 30,000 by 2017 and maybe even more beyond that. I mean, what, what can churches be doing right now to be thinking about what could be coming in days to come? Yeah, I think that's such a great question, J.D. I think, I think first of all, we need to start with with the Bible, frankly. What does God say to us about the the refugee and often the language in the bible is the stranger matthew 25 or the alien and jesus himself being a refugee i think the one of the most important things is just to say okay wait a minute let's set aside what the television is saying or even the newspapers for a moment Mm -hmm. those are good things to grapple with we have to grapple with them but let's start with what god says 
And uh, when, when you cross that bridge, you find yourself um, having shifted, oh, wow, often this is, God is serious about the refugee. And so serious, he says, when you welcome the refugee, the stranger, you welcome me. That's a really serious command. Secondly, I would say, as, as a pastor, uh, offer ways for the congregation, your congregation, to meet a refugee family. Mm-hmm. And that could be a lot of different ways. And it could be through World Beliefs, local officer, it could be through your own connections. And just to get to know the people and hear their story. And, and the stories are phenomenal of perseverance, of resilience, of faith. And, and we tend to polarize things. And well, if they're from Syria or Iraq, they must not be followers of Jesus when in fact, you know, 20, 30% of the Iraqis that we brought into the United States through what believe are are strong Christians. Mm-hmm. So we have to we have to we have to get to know this story and their history and understand what what what, what, what they're fleeing the persecution and so forth. Uh, that's an important thing is just to get to know their story. And then the question is, how can you help? Well, there, there's just this array of ways to help. Churches can actually advocate and go into our website, wewelcomerefugees.com, and write a note to the U.S. government and say, you know what, we want to follow Jesus and welcome more refugees to our country. We want to love them. That's mm-hmm. one. Secondly, a church can hold a Refugee Sunday uh, service and support and raise an offering for refugees in Europe or refugees here in the United States. Uh, thirdly, churches can get involved hands-on through one of our local offices and meet refugee families, engage, teach English, know them, I love that aspect of what we do because all we do is just foster and help set up those relationships that can bring so many things from practical, tangible help to conversations about faith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, always, J.D., always we are changed and we grow as much as uh, those people that are coming from very difficult places around the world. The last way would be to um, partner with local churches, so church-to-church partnerships, uh, here in the United States with a church in Jordan mm-hmm. who's working with Syrian refugees or a church in Germany or eventually a church in Turkey as well. Those are the three places we're working right now to serve Syrian refugees. We're also working, of course, in many other countries serving refugees and IDPs, internally displaced people like South Sudan, uh, Sudan, Congo, um, Iraq, northern Iraq. There's a lot of persecuted Christians fleeing their homes in, in northern Iraq and other persecuted people. So there's a lot of ways to get involved. The WeWelcomeRefugees.com website is a great entree into that, but also WeBelief.org. Uh, and, and click on Church to Church or Church Resources, which is uh, hopefully a helpful, helpful and, uh, tool there. And World Relief has uh, offices uh, in several locations across the United States. We do, and on both of those websites, you'll see a list of our 27 offices, and and it could very well be that there's an office near, nearby where um, your listeners are, are located. And we also have a list of other agencies that are that are welcoming refugees. So if, if not we're Belief, of course, we'd love to partner with you as we're Belief, but if you're in a city where we're just not located, chances are there's another agency that's partnered there. It may not be an evangelical one, but it's certainly one that you could... Uh, reach out to and partner with and support and get to know refugee families. Mm, That is fantastic. Uh, My guest today on Strike the Match has been Stephen Bowman, who is the president and CEO of World Relief. 
You can check out uh, World Relief's website at worldrelief.org where you can find out a great amount of information about uh, their work, uh, how to get involved, church engagement, uh, donations as well. Uh, He's the author of a new book entitled Possible, a Blueprint for Changing How We Change the World. Stephen, thank you so much, brother, for being with us today on Strike the Match. Thank you for your work. It's a great pleasure, J.D. God bless you and everybody that's listening in today. All right, you take care. Okay, bye-bye. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.